every week when I uh, when I prepare my sermon, one of the very first things that I do is I pray and I say, Lord, what would you have me say to your people this week? And earlier this week, it was Tuesday morning maybe or Wednesday morning. I don't remember which day it was. I was reading. I was getting ready to read my morning devotion, and I always read the uh, the daily proverb. So today is the 25th, and I would read the proverb number 25 this morning. Well, I was a day or so behind in reading the pro- the daily proverb, and so. For whatever reason, I just felt prompted, instead of just reading just that day's daily proverb, to go back a couple of days. And so I read Proverb 20 and Proverb 21 and then Proverb 22. And as I was reading Proverb 21, let me read to you the words that just jumped off the page at me. Proverbs 21, and it's just, I believe it's the second verse. No. Whoops, I'm in the wrong one. To the third verse, 20, chapter 21 of the book of Proverbs, the third verse. But I have to read the second verse first. Second verse reads, Every way of a person is right in their own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And that verse, to do righteousness and justice, is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. It just kind of jumped off the page at me. And I literally started going on a little, a little rabbit trail instead of just continuing reading like I normally would do. And one of the things I turned to was Proverbs 15. This is one that has been in my heart for years and years and years and years and years, more than 15, 20 years. It's something that's underlined in almost every Bible that I have. But Proverbs 15, 8, and then 15, 29 says, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to God. And then 29 says, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. And the thing I was thinking about was... I was taught, I've been taught my whole Christian life. And my wife turned to me this morning, just as the church service started, and she held up her phone and the calendar said, showed me today was the 25th, and she said, happy birthday. And I went, what? Oh, yeah. 45 years ago tonight, 10.30 Alaska time, 11.30 California time, was when I gave my life to Christ. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. And then I started crying. So, um, but... This word of doing righteousness and justice being more acceptable, the sacrifice or the, the, the prayer of the righteous person is acceptable in God's eyes. The prayer of the unrighteous, the prayer of the wicked is an abomination in God's eyes. That's been my focus for many, 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 many years. I got saved on October 25th, 1975. I literally was a very black and white Christian. I grew into my faith, and I don't remember if it was some person that taught it to me, or some pastor that taught it to me, it was just something that was part of who I was, but I literally lived for years and years and years a very black and white existence. If I want to live holy, these are the things I must do. If I want to live a righteous life, this is what I must do. And these are the things I cannot do. I mean, turn with me to the first, very first psalm. 
Psalm number one. You can probably quote it, those of you who have studied the Bible for any length of time. I can't particularly quote this one, so I just want to read it to you. But read, read with me. Psalm one. Blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on this law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And Again, this just played right into this mindset that I had as a, as a brand new baby Christian or as a young grown Christian. As a man of God, I wanted to be blessed. and I, So therefore, according to verse 1 and 2, I need to not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. I need to be focused on God's law, and I need to meditate on it all the time. My whole life needs to be God-focused. My whole life needs to be God-saturated. My whole life needs to be the Holy Scriptures need to just permeate every part of my life. I need to be so heavenly-minded. I am no earthly good. I need to not be part of the world. I need to be part of Christ. I need to only associate with Christians. I need to only register as a Republican. <laughs> that was who I was. And I was a pretty nice guy. People liked me. I thought I was doing great. I was very, very righteous. I went to church every time the doors were open. Because my father-in-law was the pastor. My mother-in-law would have made sure that we were there. If we weren't there, she would have been calling, wanting to know why we weren't there. Because you come to church when the doors are open. That was how I was reared as a young Christian. I came into a holiness denomination where we had a list of thou shalt not, if you want to be holy, thou shalt not smoke a cigarette, thou shalt not drink an alcoholic beverage, thou shalt not go to the circus. What? Wait, what? It's in there if you go back far enough in our history. My father-in-law became a pastor in the 50s in Oklahoma in the Bible Belt of the United States. And do you know what he had to do in order to take a pastorate? He had to remove his wedding ring and put it in his jewelry box because that was adornment. Now he struggled with that, but he felt that he was doing the thing that God wanted him to do, so he ruined his wedding ring. I was like, I'm there, I'm there. Well, I can't anymore, I'm too fat. It doesn't come off. <laughs> you laugh, but it's true. But the reality is, for me, I was a very legalistic Christian when I first got saved. I was black and white. If I want to live a holy and righteous life, that's how I lived. And I never, ever, ever allowed anything to study who I was. Now, integrity is incredibly important to me as a human being, not just as a Christian. 
Honor is an incredibly important thing to me as a human being, not just as a Christian. My word is a very important thing. Don't ever call me a liar, because I will kill you. <laughs> and that's how strongly I feel. It causes me great consternation when somebody challenges my character. It has nothing to do with my Christianity. It's just who I am as a person. Now couple that with my faith, and now I can't lie at all. No white lies, because even if I just... Now, okay, what do I say about that guy in the red suit with the white beard that comes around once a year and climbs down my chimney? Because I don't want to lie. What do I say about the bunny rabbit that carries a basket once a year? I don't want to lie. But I don't want to destroy the magical, mystical fun of being a child, but I have children. How do I deal with this? And what about, what about the black and orange holiday that happens every October 31st? No, we are good Christians. We never go trick-or-treating. That's what the devil. You must go to the Harvest Festival where we are Christian. And we don't wear even black. We always dress like angels and saints and good, holy, righteous ninja turtles. <laughs> this was who I was for many, many then my wife and I started having kids. And that's a fun dynamic when you're a black and white human being. And we met people who, when we were living in stations in, in the United Kingdom, in England, we had a man and a woman, Jim and Mary Lou, dear friends of ours. He was actually the associate pastor of the church that we attended. He was active duty military. And when our base closed and we all dispersed and went to various locations, Jim and Mary Lou moved to San Antonio, Texas. He was stationed at Randolph Air Force Base. And so we got stationed three and a half hours away at Goodfellow Air Force Base. So we were within driving distance. And so we made a special trip down to San Antonio to see Jim and Mary Lou. Well, in the interim, since we had missed, I mean, since we'd been separated from them, they had since adopted a little boy. And this little boy was now three years old or so. I can't remember what his age was. So we were there visiting with them for a couple, three days. And it was their practice to always go upstairs with their son and get on, them, on their knees before the bed and pray with him and read him a story. Both mom and dad were there. They just excused themselves and left us to our own devices down in the living room while they did this. And so we were just talking through the time that we were visiting with Jim and Mary Lou about their parenting skills and their parenting style and how it was slightly different from the way we were parenting our kids. And one of the things Jim shared with me, and I, I had observed him in the way he was responding to something that his son had done, and I, 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 I talked with him about it, and I said, Jim, your kid very clearly broke the law. I mean, this was a rule of your house, and he broke it. He needs to learn consequences come with actions. Bob, he's three years old. I understand he's three years old, but you have already told him what the rule of the house is, haven't you? Yes. And he intentionally broke it. He didn't just, as a child, break it. He intentionally broke it. Yes. Yes. Then why are you spanking him? Because I want to teach my son that God is a merciful God. God is gracious. Hmm. So I take that home with me. And I start trying to apply that in my own character style. And then my wife takes me aside and says, I wish we had never gone to Jim and Mary Lewis. Why? Because you never discipline our children anymore. You see, I did a full pendulum swing. So no more legalistic, no more justice, 
all mercy, all grace. You can never get in trouble because I'm showing you grace and mercy and love and compassion. And I'm making messed up kids. And this was how I lived my life. I could never find the happy medium. And then, after my kids are grown, I'm taking a master's degree online, and I learn all about Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. It's up on the screen. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. And so, what I learned during this master's program was that it is part of my spiritual practice as a Christian to not only walk righteous, holy, pure, clean lifestyle, but also to show mercy, love, grace. If you look at um, the the Proverbs chapter 21, verse 3, it says, what does it say? Kindness or faithfulness? Whatever it says, righteousness. The righteousness word is actually chesed. I mean, next thing we have said, tzedakah. Tzedakah is doing justice, doing right or good because it is the right thing to do. Because it is the just thing to do. So it's kind of an interesting blend. This idea of righteousness in, in the Proverbs verse is talking about uh, a, a, a Hebrew uh, cultural practice of always doing what is appropriate and right for the other person. Showing love to God also, but showing love to the, to the other person. Which kind of goes into this idea of Jesus saying, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and love the neighbor as yourself. Because that's what this whole thing about being a faithful person of God is all about. And so this idea of tzedakah is doing right because it's the right thing to do. Doing good for someone else because it's the right thing to do. And then this idea of mercy, if you look in here, this is chesed, which is, chesed is a, a, a term that's, it's love that goes beyond any, this is not agape. Agape is a selfless love. Chesed is a love that is beyond anything that you're feeling. It is beyond anything that you, uh, that you, that you, you are responsible to do. It is just a love because it's right to love. An example of it. I was listening to, uh, I was reading something, I don't remember what it was in this preparation time. Uh, it was a video that I was watching, it was a reading because I've got so much in here. Uh, but this person said, in trying to teach my kids about chesed, the, uh, they said, the, the child said, um, what is chesed? What is this love you're talking about? And the person said, it means loving. Do you love your parents? Yeah. Do you always love your parents? Yeah. Okay, but you're 14 years old. Isn't there a single time in your life that you're really angry at your mom and all you can feel is anger because she's just being mean? Well, yeah. But do you still love her? Yeah. That's his say. Loving regardless of how you feel. Loving regardless of the circumstances. Loving regardless of the situation. Loving regardless of how they're treating you. It's always loving because it's the right thing to do. That's a sin. 
Get into your stuff, just love them. That's a sin. And it's not a copy, because it's not, we're not talking the selfless love. We're talking, it's the right thing to do, you love them. That's just the way it is. So now, it's 2012, 2011 when I'm getting my master's, so it's only eight, nine years ago. I'm 61. I've been a Christian 45 years today. And it's only been the last nine years of that 45 years that I'm learning how to live a holy, righteous, pure, just life, and at the same time, walk in his head. Walk in love. And believe me, it is difficult. Because this idea of Hesed is, I need to love that other person who's around in my community, regardless of whether they love Jesus or not, regardless of whether they love me or not, regardless of whether they love my church or not, regardless of whether they're Republican, Democrat, liberal, independent, doesn't make any difference, I need to just love them, period. End of discussion. Amen. But see, I don't want to do that. Because that's contradictory. I'm walking in the council of the ungodly. I'm sitting down with the scoffers. When I sit down at that coffee shop at 24 Mile, it's really tough. And because I'm this guy, whoa, I just broke your thing. Because I'm this guy that swings back and forth in my practices. I hope it's not destroyed, but I literally just cross that. It's a it's a technological thing for the guitar. He may not be playing next week. <laughs> because I'm a guy that swings back and forth in the way that I am as a human being, and I struggle to find this blend. It's been an interesting eight or nine years for me. Because I want to love. I pray, literally every morning, I pray the prayer of Francis of Assisi. Lord, make me this root of peace. Where there's hatred, let me so love. Where there's injury, let me so pardon. Where there are doubts, let me so faith. Where there's despair, let me so hope. Where there's darkness, let me so light. Where there's sadness, let me so joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not be so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. God, help me to love others. Help me to always love others. Help me to show mercy, kindness, chesed, faithfulness to all human beings, regardless of whether or not we agree, regardless of whether they're part of my clan, regardless of whether or not... But at the same time, do not let me violate who I am as a Christian. Do not let me sully the name of Christ. If you look at James chapter 1, verse 27, and this is, what does God find as perfect and pure and holy religion? It's to take care of the widows and the orphans and to keep yourself from being unstained by the pollution that's in the world. And it's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing for me to do. And as I was mulling over all of this this week, and I was going, God, how and what am I... I mean, because I'm supposed to be at the Halloween carnival this weekend at the Trump retreat, and I want to do what's right. And I'm going to hear people say, I'll come and you're letting people touch stuff. And oh, this is a Christian church, and you're here with these heathen practices? And oh, God, I mean, I'm literally... And I'm just like, Jesus, let me love. End of discussion. Let me not be legalistic. Let me not be judgmental. Let me not be hard-nosed. Help me to show the unconditional love of God to my fellow human beings who live out here in two rivers, regardless of what they're dressed like, regardless of what their particular persuasion is, regardless of what their 
and glory of Christ as I stand in that booth on next Friday, Saturday night. Help me, God, to show love to my neighbors. And I said, Jesus, can you give me something to hold on to? An image out of your own time on this earth. Something that showed you doing Micah chapter 6 verse 8. Can you show me where I can point to my people and say, here is Jesus himself doing this. And God went, yeah, it's easy. I can show you. John chapter 8. What? John chapter 8. But wait a minute, God. John chapter 8, that's the story of the woman caught in adultery. And Jesus said, yeah, sure it is. I said, okay, God, I'm looking for three things. I am looking for justice. I am looking for mercy. I'm looking for walking humbly with God. Where is that in here? And Jesus says, it's real easy. Let's just read it real quick. Some of you may not have read it for a while. Each went to their own house, but Jesus went up to the Mount of Olives. And then early in the morning, he came back down into the temple. And all the people, hear this, all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. So, Jesus is not sitting alone at the temple. He is surrounded by a crowd of people. And all of a sudden, while he's taught, teaching at the temple, this whole crowd of people, the scribes and the Pharisees come up, carrying, bringing a woman with them, who they had caught in the very act of adultery. They placed her in the midst, and they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. Now, the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Now my very first question is, where's the guy she was with? Because how could these people have caught her in the act unless they knew it was going on? And how could they have known it was going on unless it was one of them who seduced her? Thank you. Literally. Literally, one of the leaders took this woman to bed and was in the act of committing adultery with her when they were found. I don't know about you guys, but when and if I ever have sex, it's not with a trumpet blast saying, Hey, everybody! It's always quiet, quiet, private, and alone time for me and my wife. So how did they find her in the very act? This was a setup. It was out of the pits of hell. The leaders of the congregation, the scribes, the Pharisees, bring her to him and say, the law commands us to stone such women. What do you say? They said this to test Jesus, that they might have some charge to bring against Jesus. Jesus simply bent down, wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, again, there's a crowd of people sitting around. Jesus has been teaching them about how to love God and how to serve God and how to, I mean, literally, just, anyway. And he says, uh, he, and then, then, well, even before I do that, even before I get there, because I want to I wanna back this up, because there's one other thing I want to point out to you. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Matthew 23, now, I can't tell you that he said this at the time that this, John, that this adultery thing was going on. 
I can just tell you that he said this to the same group of people. Matthew 23, 23. It says, Jesus is pronouncing seven woes on these Pharisees and these uh, scribes. And he says in verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe on your mint and your dill and your cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done, without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Jesus said that to that crowd, to those teachers and Pharisees. He said, you're hypocrites. You're cheats. You're fake. You tithe on the nine tiniest little things that have no weight in your life. Dill, cumin, mint. But you don't care about the way you're stuck. Justice, mercy, faithfulness, righteousness. That's where you should be focusing your life. And all you're worried about is these tiny little things. Following the law. Following the law. Being holy and righteous and pure. You are fake. You are false teachers. Now, he was not afraid to call them out. But in John chapter 8, he takes a totally different tack. Same group of people. We found this woman in the very act of adultery. What in our law says she should be stoned. And what do you say, teacher? It was in his authority and in his power and in his ability and in his practice who have called these people down. But Jesus was in a crowd of people who he was teaching how to live a holy, righteous, and pure life. What are the things that God expects of you? And what are the things that God expects of you as a a person of God? To act justly. To love mercy. To walk humbly with your God. Now when I was first reflecting on this, I thought, oh, that's easy. He's walking humbly before those Pharisees and, and, and scribes. He's just being humble. But that's not what Micah says. Micah doesn't say you're supposed to act humble in front of sinners. Micah says you're supposed to act humble in front of God as you walk with God. Think about it this way. I don't have to prove who I am. I know who I am. Somebody said that to us this morning. I was out screaming as you were singing the songs this morning. That last brand new song that we just happened to schedule this time because we haven't done a new song for a long time. The first words of the first verse were my sermon. I love you, God. Your mercy is wonderful. I had asked God earlier today, God, am I really on the right track? Because I don't know if this is really what you want me to pray. And the Lord said, well, look at the, look at the lectionary for today. The lectionary for today. Guess what the gospel reading was? The Pharisees and the scribes take a, a woman, I mean, t- uh, ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And all of the law and prophets uh, hinge on these things. I hadn't even looked at that before I already knew what God wanted me to say this morning. And then I was like, still, I'm not quite sure, I'm not quite sure. And then Roy, literally, I was a puddle over here crying. Because God was saying, you see, this is the 
my people, and it is important that you know it backwards, forwards, inside and out, because they need to hear it this morning, and I've ordained all of this, so don't be afraid. Just say what I need you to say. So Jesus had the ability to call those Pharisees and scribes down publicly and call them false prophets, but he didn't in this moment. Why? Because he knew who he was. And he was walking humbly with his God. He was going to let God fight his battles. That's number one. Number two, acting justly. What did the law say? I mean, we're not going to take the time to read it, but if you go back to the Mosaic Law, what does it say about people caught in adultery? That they are to be stoned so that the evil is purged from the community. And what does it say about that stoning? The one who caught them in the act of adultery should be the one who casts the first stone. And then the rest of the community is supposed to throw stones until the person is dead. That's what the Law of Moses says. So what Jesus did when he acted justly in the situation was he looked up and he said, I didn't catch her. Somebody else caught her. And if you're going to follow the letter of the law, if you're going to be meticulous in your following of the law, which one of you is the one that's supposed to throw the stone first? Because none of the rest of us can start until you do. And I said one other thing. Because we're supposed to not only act justly, but love mercy. Is there anyone here who has never, ever sinned? Is there anyone here who witnessed this heinous crime who wouldn't also be deserving of death for your own sins? Because if you're that person, then you feel free to cast that first stone so we can all get started on this. Think amongst yourselves for a few minutes. I want to keep talking. He starts writing in the, in the sand. And I was thinking about all of this. And I've heard people preach on this for 45 years. Okay, so this isn't a new story. I mean, I've read commentary after commentary. Not a single person who's alive today knows what Jesus wrote in the sand. But God whispered to me what I will hold on to for the rest of my time on this earth and hopefully for the rest of eternity is that God wrote Micah chapter 6, verse 8 in the sand. What does the Lord require of you, O man, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God? What does the law, what does the Lord require of you, O man, to act justly, to love mercy, Walk humbly with your God. What does the Lord require of you, O oh man? Just writing it over and over again in the sand. Until finally he looks up. And not only are the accusers gone, but all the people he was teaching have walked away too. And it's just him and the sinner. This adulterer. This vile filthy, caught in the act, blood on our hands still. And he looks up and he says, where are your accusers? He says, I don't have any. They've all left. He said, I don't, I don't care anymore. But don't sin anymore. See, he didn't compromise the justice part. 
He didn't compromise his holiness. He didn't compromise the, te- the teachings of the church. The Bible clearly says adultery is a sin against God and against people. So he wasn't, he wasn't ignoring the, uh, the requirement to be just, but he was blending it with perfect mercy. Go. But don't sin anymore. He didn't say, don't get caught anymore. He said, don't sin. He drew a line in the sand for Can you imagine that woman literally standing there, probably draped in the sheet from the bed, because she was naked. She was in the act of adultery, remember? Ripped out of her bed, had nothing but a sheet wrapped around her, dragged through the streets, thinking she's going to be killed any second, and then finally, she is told, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Imagine the walk from the temple back to her home. How did that change her life? I look forward to the day when I get to meet her. Because I truly believe she's a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I truly believe that his mercy and his grace reached to her heart. And I believe she probably never, ever, ever even thought about adultery again. Let alone in the other sins, but specifically that. And so, how do I wrap this up for us this morning? What I hear God saying to me, you can take it home with you if you want, or you can just leave it here. It doesn't make any difference to me. What I hear God saying to me is do not swing to the justice or to the mercy. Learn how to do both at the same time and know who you are in Christ. I got your back. I'll take care of everything. You don't have to worry about the justice people. You don't have to worry about the mercy people. You continue to do what you think is best and right with the intent of loving me with your whole mind, with your whole soul, with your whole body, with your whole strength, with your whole voice, with your whole everything. And I'll find that acceptable if I said, Bob. And you don't worry about anybody else. You just keep your eyes focused on me. And my response is, Number one. Thank you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. God, I truly believe that you're about to break forth something in our congregations, and you need to prepare our hearts for the sinners that are going to be coming. Help us, Jesus, to be ready for what you're going to bring about. Help us to be faithful. Help us to keep our eyes focused only on you and nothing else. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. In 